Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Sales Masters Podcast. This is going to be the hub for any professional out there who's looking to get to that next level within their business. Not only are they going to be dropping tips, but bringing in the absolute titans of industry. Big names out there, like the people like David Meltzer, leaders of their industry. We're going to share with you exactly how they got there, the problems they faced, how they overcome it so you can use them within your business. We're going to be dropping weekly gems that you can go off to help you get up to that next level. And we look forward to having you here on the journey. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Masters Podcast. And today we are joined by the amazing Jeff Benster. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Great. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Thanks Huge for coming fan on. In an honor. Of course. I, I was excited it. when I got the opportunity. Well, I really appreciate it. I mean, when I look over at your bio, obviously, Everbowl, big name, serial entrepreneur, speaker, top 40 under 40, investor, mentor, Thomas Jefferson School of Law as well. That's a pretty broad bio. And you look like far under 40. So, I mean, how old well, are thank you? Thank you. I'm about to be 39, so I appreciate far under 40. Wow, I'm 41. I look 49. <laughs> Got to eat soup, more, more acai bowls. Got to eat more ever bowl. Straight in with that plug. That's what we want to see. That's what we want to see. Talk to us. So if, if anyone doesn't know about Everbowl, talk to us about Everbowl. This is one of your, your, your biggest victories, I would say, out there, really, wouldn't it? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Everbowl is a craft superfood chain, which is basically acai bowls or exotic superfoods and fruits around the world that are really highly nutritious. And so we created a QSR or a quick serve restaurant chain that basically allows you as the customer to come in and eat things that you may not be familiar with, or you are familiar with in a, in kind of a build your own bowl manner. So something you're traditionally used to from the Chipotle's of the world or the subways or the Jersey Mike's where you walk through an assembly line, it's a quick serve restaurant. So you don't get table service started in 2016. And the whole idea was to help everyone eat healthier and be a better version of themselves. Mm. And now we have 53 stores across the United States with another 200 plus sold and going to be opening over the next four years and now making international <laughs> plans to hopefully bring Everbowl across the pond over to you and mm. um, other areas of the world. So you're, you're going to be at 250, you've got 50 open, you've got another 200, but already, and are those franchised? Is that like a Correct. Yeah. yeah. So okay. they, they self-funded and grew corporately first 28. And then when COVID happened, had to pivot. So March of 2020, we closed down 28 stores. We reopened May 1st of 2020 with the idea of franchising, subsequently sold all the stores as franchises and then offered it out to the world. And because we had such a huge following potential franchisees begging, but we just weren't going to do it from 16 through the beginning of 20, it was really easy at that point to say, hey, now we're going to franchise. Yeah. Now we're going to allow other people to join the family and open their own stores. And, you know, we had over 550 franchise requests without ever saying we were ever going to franchise. So from a sales perspective, it's pretty easy when you have all these inbound warm requests and uh, no sale sell is obviously a very powerful way. Yeah, massively. I mean, with the model that you've got, you could quite easily go out and pitch that, I'm sure, with absolute ease. I mean, what's your nearest... When you, when you were looking at this, when you were setting up, was there a competitor in the space that does have a healthier version that was similar or were you just really breaking the mold away from all the subways and all the other companies at the time? So the truthfully, I used to import all these superfoods into my house since about 2012. Uh, you mm-hmm. couldn't really find an acai bowl in San Diego from 12 to 16. 
it was kind of one of those things where it was like, I was always eating these weird exotic superfoods and friends would come over and go, what is this? Oh, it tastes really good. And I'd force them to taste it, et cetera. And I had sold a digital marketing agency at the end of 2015. Um, and so most of 2016, I was at home driving my wife and two daughters crazy. And <laughs> <laughs> pretty much my wife gave me the go do something you're passionate about because you're driving us nuts. And so I figured, you know what, let me introduce acai bowls to the market. There was a few little obscure places to get them, but there wasn't really a, a centric restaurant that focused solely on it, much like Subway focused on sandwiches or, you know, Domino's focuses on pizza. Mm. There was nothing specifically targeted to this back in 2015 when the concept kind of started to take shape in 2016 when we opened. I find it fascinating because when you're going out on something, when you've got things like Domino's and everyone loves pizza, right? Everyone likes sure. everything. There's no good for them. Was there a concern at the stage that you thought initially, is this going to pick up? Or did you feel that the time was right now with the wave of world, everyone's a lot more open, people are a lot more conscientious about what they're eating. And you thought, okay, well, where I'm at now, this is popular in this area. Was there a big vision for the big chain? Or was it more start here and just see what happens? Well, if I'm going to do a business, I always have to have a bigger, you know, overarching picture that says mm. this is what we can grow it to be. Because it's a, it's a basically a, a usage of time analysis, right? I'm going to put my time into this. What's the upside? So I did have a backup plan. I did have my training wheels on and I was doing consulting. I do some consulting for businesses. Uh, I help startups and I help establish businesses as a, both a business consultant and mentor. So my plan was I'll open the restaurant in the front. Well, let me back up. I was going to get an office because I was working from home doing that same thing. I just needed somewhere else to go. So I was like, oh, great. I'll open the restaurant in 2016, the front of house and in the back, I'll have an office. So mm. worst case, I'll just run my consulting business through the back. Best case, I get to monetize the real estate I needed, have this opportunity to try Everbull. If it takes off, great. And if it doesn't, okay, I have a weird business in the back of some restaurant that's pretty empty. And mm. so that was how I played it in my head with the doomsday scenario, which is, okay, I'll make my money in the back of the house. But the hope was the front would take off and pick up. And I really believe that the world was, like you said, was already starting to eat healthier. You started to see it back in 2016 when McDonald's introduced salads, yeah. uh, which was a little little disjointed. But it was like, oh, okay. But it's a flag in the, the ground, world. I guess, for you as well. When you go, that's a terrible salad. No one should eat that. <laughs> oh, they're selling them. Oh, there might be a market. <laughs> well, you figure if you're going to eat a salad, you're not going to McDonald's for it, no. right? So. No. But the point was McDonald's saw the writing on the wall as well. And we started to see this huge approach from the younger population. You know, I have a 16-year-old, but back then she was, you know, 10. They were already focused more on health and wellness, already focused more on nutrition. You started to see the farm-to-table restaurants popping up. You started mm. to see the packaged goods in retail stores like 7-Eleven, et cetera, start to lean towards healthier options. So although I was a little bit ahead of the curve, and we still are, the market's moving that way. As more information becomes available, we start to better understand the direct impact from what we consume on a daily basis and our health and our wellness and our and you know how we as humans prosper. So the idea for me was, okay, great. I don't know anything about restaurants. So I'm going to figure this out and try it. But yes, bigger picture was obviously to have an Everbowl everywhere. And then I'm a serial entrepreneur. So, so my goal when I start things is to grow them, scale them, and then create an exit opportunity for myself and the shareholders. And then move on to the next project. So making sure that there was going to be an, an off-ramp at some point, because I don't want a forever business. Well, and is that the same with Everbowl? Because now you've got that as a franchise model. I mean, are you that involved with the day-to-day 
are you more big sky picture and your eyes are already elsewhere? Well, so the beauty of Everbowl is I found a way to take my biggest weakness slash strength, and it depends what, what side of the conversation you're having with it, and use it to my advantage. And so being a serial entrepreneur or a degenerate entrepreneur or <laughs> professional eight or, or, or a not, you know, that's a nice way to say I have professional ADHD. Yes. Um, and I can't stay on one project longer than three to five years. So with Everbowl, I used my concept of vertical integration and I started my own construction and fabrication arm called WeBuild. And we actually build out every single so Everbowl. That's, okay, that's so you've got your franchises and then you've got yep. the business behind that. So when someone takes on a franchise, they use your company to get it done, which then keeps it all in sync as well. Correct. And then we created uh, Unevolved Products, which is our import and manufacturing arm. So we import superfoods from around the world. We manufacture the bases and the ingredients for all of our stores and then sell them back to the stores. So I get to play in these other companies and start mm-hmm. and start and, and scale these other companies, which keeps my entrepreneurial brain moving. And then we have direct to consumer products that we run in the United States. It's called QVC, which is a TV based sales pitch yeah. of products. So we have a direct to consumer product. We launched a coffee product from that, all of those areas, I've been able to kind of stay focused on the overarching brand without feeling the the tiredness, the drawness that draws me away. Because I understand everyone has their skills. And I understand I'm, I'm really good at taking concept or idea. The two of us could sit here and say, we're going to make the next best widget. I get passionate. I love it for the next three to five years. I've been great at figuring out how to grow at scale, optimize, get it to, you know, hopefully some, some name recognition, attract investors. But then I need to pass it to a true operator to take from that next level to the to a higher level. And so the beauty of Everbowl is we have an incredible team of people in our corporate office that are helping drive this mission. And so I'm not stuck in the in the day-to-day nuances anymore. I'm now thinking bigger picture. I'm finding more ways to vertically integrate us, do big partnerships. You know, just recently we did a huge partnership with Drew Brees, an NFL star from the uh, United States. Uh, he joined as both a investor, a brand ambassador, and now a franchisee, and he's buying some regions. I get to travel around the country and help franchisees open their stores, connect with their local markets, drive attention. So I get to focus on the areas that I get to enjoy Mm. and have fun and have a team there to really help support all the areas that maybe I'm just not the best person for the company. And that's that's an important thing, I think, for entrepreneurs is to to understand, right, your weaknesses Mm. and strengths. So uh, let me talk to you about hires. And this is a selfish one, as I said to you at the start and anyone watching this. I'm glad everyone is tuning in and listening to this podcast, but part of it is selfishly for me as I grow up in my life, um, I want to pick the brains of people. And let's be frank, if I was hiring you as a consultant, I'd be paying a lot more. So I get to look at you, have a nice chat. So here we talk about hires. So say right now you're at the stage you're hiring. So when you had your consultancy, for example, I deal with one-on-one coaching. We've got a subscription service. But then I think about hires and it's so easy to go find salespeople, just get more salespeople, just get more salespeople. What's your strategy with your businesses, for example, with consultancy or maybe with Everbowl and other businesses, with how you look at hiring? Is there a set formula that you go for? Is there a set person? Because I'm always fascinated on what people do with this. Yeah. I mean, it's a little more specific to what I'm hiring for. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was hiring employees at Everbowl, then I I knew nothing about restaurants. So how am I going to hire somebody? So I would say, okay, Let's uh, we'll have an, our interview next Tuesday at two thirty-seven, and can you bring a red paper clip? And the staff would, the prospects would be like, "What?" I'm like, "Yeah, two thirty-seven, and bring a red paper clip." 
And the idea there was, can you show up on time and can you follow directions? And I wanted them to have to find something that wasn't in their car or in their house mm. because I wanted to see if you can follow directions and show up on time, I can teach you the rest. So that's for like your lower level, um, more grunt work. And I find that that's just a great little tactic. So you can really like, if I was hiring a, an assistant, you know, that it would be something like that, where, where that would be the criteria for that interview. But as, it, as for the bigger picture and like the overarching higher level hires, I'm not a micromanager. And I think one mistake people make when they hire is they say, okay, this is your job. This is everything you're going to do. And you basically gave them a paint by number position. And the problem with that is you're not going to get great people to take a paint by number position. So really, mm -hmm. I would say, okay, look, this is the mission of Everable. Here's where we are. And here's where we're going. I need an architect. I need someone who buys into the vision, buys into the culture and is the right human to join the team. And then I need you to have an entrepreneurial mind, even though you're an employee. And I need you to come figure it out. I need you to have the comfort and confidence to fail and make mistakes. But I also need you to have the confidence to overcome those mistakes and solve them and only make mistakes once. Making mistakes once is fine. Making yes. mistakes twice is a problem. Yes. And, I, and so, so I always give my, my staff a lot of rope and leeway to make mistakes, make them fast, make them early. I don't care. Be creative. Think outside the box. Boxes are not meant for anybody. That's just ways to control and make the same company uh, same problems you had yesterday today. So if you have an abstract thought, great, bring it. And that's kind of been my, my modus operandi in all my companies is to partner with smart brains and people that were better and smarter than me. And I'm not going to tell you how to do your job. You're going to tell me how you did such a great job of taking us where you want to take us. <laughs> and so I attract people that want that freedom, that creative professional freedom to shine and to take what they've done their entire career and now apply it in their own way draw their picture, you know, be their own artist, call, you know, whatever metaphor fits. But that's really the kind of humans I want to surround myself with. So when you look at the, you know, the executive staff at Everbull and our executive team in, in our corporate office, almost all of them are pretty much the reason we are where we are. They, they're so brilliant in their own way. They have their own creative style. And my job is to give them the platform or the stage, if you will, to perform and let them perform their own in their own way. But obviously, well, my main role then is to make sure they're doing what they're doing yeah. under the same direction we're trying to go. So if I'm going from New York to London, I'm not going to tell them what path to take across the ocean. I'm going to say, we're going to London. And one might go above the poles, one might go south, one might just head directly east. But either way, we're all going to end in London. And I'm okay with all three paths as long as we end in London and they're doing their journey following our, you know, our core values and what we stand for as a brand, making sure that that holds true. I'm all in. Mm. How do you stand with, um, I was trying to word it in a nice way, people that say <laughs> they're going to be able to do one thing and not how much, because it's great giving rope, but mm -hmm. do you have quite a short, higher fast, fire fast mentality? Do you find that it depends on the person? Because I always find for a lot of people, and people can relate to this when they're watching this back, it's very easy to hire people, they invest time into training, them, and sometimes people hold on, to a person because the amount of time they made that mistake for not how quick they should cut it off. And then they get, they almost get used to failure sure. and then it becomes no sort of cut point. What's your thoughts on it? How do you process these ideas? Well, I, I mean, I, it's a, it's a very, very deep and great question, right? Cause there's a lot of nuance there. And, and I think traditionally I fall on the side of, I mean, I guess you first ask yourself, are you the, would you rather hold on too long or cut bait too short? And I would rather hold on a little too long than let go of someone too soon. So I'd probably let you have a little bit more rope than most people. But I'm also really bad at firing people. Yeah, um, it's hard. There's a joke in my office that if 
you send me in to fire someone, the person's going to get a raise and a promotion. Uh, <laughs> so, so and, and the reason is not because, uh, well, the reason is because I only work with friends. I never understand the business comment people make. I don't do business with friends. I don't understand that. I push back on that. I think it truthfully, and no offense to anyone who, who says that, but I think it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in business. I think it's a problem with your friends, not the fact you work with your friends. Well, why would it be a problem? Why would it ruin a friendship if I act with integrity? If we're friends and we're really good friends and we're actually real friends, like not, we don't have to be best friends, but if we're truly friends, yeah. that means that I have an honest relationship with you and I should be able to tell you if you're doing something that's offending me or bothering me or hurting me and you would care and not want to do that. So if you're doing bad at your, if you're performing poorly at your job and your job is in my company and I have to have a heart to heart with you and say, you're performing poorly here's some steps to improve it, or I have to let you go because it's not a good fit. If that breaks our friendship, then we didn't really have a strong friendship to begin mm. with. Right? So I'd rather only work with friends because friends are, should have some, a level of trust. You should have a level of loyalty. You should already know them as a human. And maybe it was a mistake on my part to think that you were capable. So it's my mistake. But either way, if you look at the majority of the people I work with, they're all my friends. And so that's why I'd rather hold on a little too long than cut bait too soon, because I want to believe that they're going to do better. And I also shouldn't feel like they aren't. And so um, and does it work 100% of the time? No. Uh, have I lost some friends because of that? Yes. <laughs> but that is unfortunately part of it. It's just, I don't like working with strangers. So as I go through the hiring process, I'm looking for people that meet and fit our culture and our core values and my core values, which is what I bleed into the companies that, that I start. And if they fit them, I'm really not going to have any problems. And it's when I try to justify the person to a role, but they don't meet all the criteria. And so if you're good at the onset of saying and defining what kind of a human you're looking for, then as long as they meet those boxes and you're strict on the upfront, you really don't have a ton of turnover. And so fortunately, in my career, I have not had a ton of turnover internally with our executive staff. Mm. I think one of the big things with hiring the friends, often people need help in their business and their friends are a loss and uh, like a loose end. And that's I think that's one of the problems. Right. Is that what you need a job? I need to hire someone. <laughs> Come in. And it's just that people don't treat the fr- They treat it too much like friends instead of turning it into a business role, which I, I think is um, a big issue. Well, let, let me just touch that yeah, really go on. quick. So. So when I say friends, though, I don't just mean the same, the only the friends that I hang out with socially all the time. I mean that like after this, me and you have become, we've developed the beginnings of our friendship, right? 100%. We will have spoken for an hour plus, you know, face to face on this and we're going to both promote it. And you might call me in six weeks or I might call you in four weeks and might just have a question for each other. And we're building this friendship. So when I say friend, I do mean socially, but I also mean professional friends. Yes. So our director of marketing that we hired at Everbull, and she's now the VP of marketing, or the VP of operations, excuse me. She's been promoted. Um, Kate, you know, when I first met Kate, I didn't know her. So we were hiring for a director of marketing position, and I want to get to know the people. So we asked all of our candidates, for example, submit resume and submit a 60 to 90 second, you know, video, just telling us about yourself. I don't care what your work, what you do for work, mm. just who you are. What do you do for fun? What bothers you? What do you like? What's your favorite food? Like, let's Let's get through the professional stuff. Too often, everyone's trying to be too professional in interviews. And I want to screw all that, right? You, you obviously have a resume. This is what you do. You're probably good at it. You have room for improvement? Yeah, we all do. You have room that, that areas that you need to focus on? Of course, we all do. 
but I'm less worried about how capable you are at your job. And I'm more worried about who you are as a person, your, and your personality. And again, your values, because my core values of making friends and having fun and the idea of Kaizen, getting 1% better and uh, being change ready and acting with integrity. Well, if you live those same things, then I don't really have to worry because you're going to fail or make mistakes. The, in, the department's going to struggle. We're going to have a conversation. We're going to say, look, we need to do better. And you're going to go out and find ways to make it better because you're a self-starter and you you live and breathe that ethos. And that's my, up to me to find the people that can do those things, the raw ingredients. Once we get out onto the stage, you know, over the course of the interview process, I continuously have interviews where all I'm trying to do is get to know the person. Mm. And then we become, and I look, would I like this person? Can we become friends? Because everyone overlooks how much time we all spend with our Massively. family. It's basically, you sometimes spend more time with them than your, your real family. 100%. And I think it is so, a very rushed part that people seem to, I think people rush in, people seem to rush that interview process a lot. Correct. And I think Correct. that's, and they I, don't. Build a house on sand, really, aren't you? Because everyone, yeah, everyone can be good in an interview for 15, 20 minutes, right? I've had, we say right. all the time, especially with salespeople, when everyone who's, who's watching this can, can probably relate to <laughs> someone who's walked into their business, said the right thing, and you're like, oh my gosh, this person's going to bring in millions every month. And they turn up, and then you're like, hang on, it's like, it's their weird cousins turned up because it's completely <laughs> different from the hire. That, that we seem to see, which I think is just crazy. That's right. How do you find with it now? Do you find that when you're getting, when we were talking initially about who you hire into your business, because you've got big sky thinking with there, is one of your primary hires that would come in? So say if you're a small business side, would that be because you want that person to be great at interviewing because you want them to help build the other areas up? Or do you focus on building one set area then you'll go and find someone else for that area and sort of internally promote as the business grows. Is there a set strategy you've got around that? So, yeah, I, I use just-in-time. Uh, just-in-time learning, just-in-time hiring, just-in-time financing, just-in-time education, just-in-time product suites. And, and what I mean is just-in-time, all that stuff's going to happen. I don't, I don't stress it. So whatever I'm dealing with today, I deal with. And if I, I don't think too many steps ahead, um, I don't really care because I'm going to help pave the road. Yes. We're going to figure out what we need. We're going to then find that person just in time. And what that does is it really allows us to really hopefully pick the right tool for the, for the job that's right in front of us and not be hoping that that person's going to, as you said, bring in billions of dollars. If I was a sales organization and I wanted to start selling to a specific niche of, if it was B2B and I, and I was trying to you know, take on the insurance industry, I would go look for someone who's pretty, who has experience selling to the insurance industry and has that network and has that referral business, I wouldn't care that they don't necessarily have automotive uh, network, even though that might be next. Yes. That's okay. We'll get to that person just in time. The problem I think a lot of business owners make is they hire somebody for too many. Uh, they're, they're looking for you know a, a Swiss army knife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know? <laughs> a great analogy. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. But then they're upset that they got a Swiss army knife. And a, you know, a Swiss army knife is- This is a terrible lot. pair of scissors. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. It's good in a pinch for lots of things, but it's yeah. bad at any. If you're stuck at the side of a mountain and you've got to cut some thread to abseil down, <laughs> yes, it's going to be helpful. But it's not what you're going Correct. to want to use for anything of any substance, is it? Correct. So I'd rather hire, find my scissors when I need scissors, and then when I need a hammer, I'm not going to be mad at the scissors that it can't be a hammer. Mm. I'm going to go get a hammer, and that way people are 
more successful with us. And the views are, hey, be great at what you're great at. I'm not great at everything. And so I bring on people to augment and support me and lift me up. And the mindset for me has always been be the dumbest person in the room. And so I strive for that. And I've been very successful at that. Um, surrounding myself with rock stars, talented, brilliant people that are great at what they do. And then I'm there. I'm the chair, you know, truly my job is to give them the platform to be great. And if I don't do that, then it's really my fault, not theirs. Mm. When you're being the smartest, uh, sorry, when you're avoiding being the smartest person in the room, do you ever struggle with not the fact that they're smarter, but when you're hiring for other roles and you're trying to get great people, how do you navigate that? Is it you just base it solely on you've just got to go through trial and error and personality side with those people? Is there a, a set thing that you look for with them? I like the idea, like you said earlier, for the lower skill set side of it with the red paperclip because of an accountability side and being on time. But how do you do that with people which have a higher skill set to make sure that they're not pulling the wool over your eyes? Sure. Uh, so phase one of the interview process, as I mentioned, was uh, your resume in a 60 to 90 second video about you. I don't want to know anything else of professional. I want to know about you, the person. Once we get those, we reviewed them. We're like, great. We narrowed it down to the people we thought, hey, these are, these are people we think would fit our culture. Then it was like, great. We're going to schedule an interview. Before that interview, can you send us a one? To, I'll use the director of marketing just as the example. Is a director role marketing. So I said, great. Can you send me a one to two page uh, game plan of how you would roll out the marketing department for Everbull with what's available out there in the street, in the world? I'm not giving any information. So it's going to take an hour of your time. You're going to have to show me that you can, with limited information, figure out something, have the confidence to put your name on it, even though you know that what you're going to give us is not going to be right because you don't know what we know or what we're looking for. So do you have confidence? Do you have uh, the ability to go find answers out there when you don't have it all in front of you? Are you willing to put in work even though you may not get the job? You know, Because when you ask candidates to do something, like give you a one to two page uh, roadmap or game plan. And I think we asked for, give us a 90 day and a 365 day plan, one page, one page. And obviously we said, look, we understand that it's not going to be right. I want to see how they approach the problem yeah, yeah. and how they think. And that's the difference is I don't care what you've done and I don't care what you say you're going to do. I care how you're, how you're approaching issues and problems. Cause I can't tell you what tomorrow's issues are going to be. We're going to tackle them together. So if you are someone who can go out without a lot of information and do those things and not be, oh my gosh, you know, I'm so sorry, here it is. But uh, if they're timid and they're tentative, then they're not going to be the right person for me because I know what I need is I need someone who's better at the job than I am. And again, I can't tell you how to develop our marketing department because I'm not the greatest marketer. That's what we're hiring you for. So you're coming in as a blank uh, sheet of paper. What would you do? And some people come back and go, that's my work product. I'm not going to give it to you without without the job. Okay, well then if you, if you think it's that proprietary, don't thank you very much. It's not a great fit. We have others that send stuff in and, you know, it was like, you could tell that they Googled a uh, 90 day marketing plan restaurant <laughs> and basically just put their stuff in. <laughs> Filled in the blanks. Others that, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like uh, uh, one of those old Paint mad, by numbers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Put in adjective, but then you have some that really gave it some thought and said, you know what? They looked at some competitors they realized our inefficiencies. They were honest. They said, this is what I would do, but obviously things will change based on. And you just see that how they were thinking about the problem. And it's more of a litmus test than it is a real test, right? Because mm. realistically, as soon as they come in, great, throw that away. Yeah, get now, rid of that. Is, yeah, now let's teach you what we, what we know. 
where we are, where we're going, and let's build this thing together. And, and so the higher level, you want, in my opinion, architects. You don't want paint by number. Lower level, you want people who can come in and just do the job. You don't want them making decisions. You want them executing on decisions and plans you've already built. Um, but the higher level, I do believe you should spend more time on getting to know, know them as people and then how they approach problems. And you can even ask them for a completely different problem. Like it doesn't even have to be about marketing for a marketing role. It just right. has to be, how are you thinking? Because when you can get into how someone thinks and you believe that you like the, their approach, like a great one in sales, you know, like the old famous one, when I first got into the sales in, you know, 1998 was sell me this pen in like an interview, you know? And the idea was somehow trying to see if would I sell myself or would I try to sell features and benefits or, or service and human, right? Mm -hmm. But more now, if I was hiring a director of sales and I was trying to get to understand how they would think, I would ask them to give me a give me a, a one to two page plan on what you would do if, if we were really far behind in our sales plan and our quotas and you had to rehire the entire sales team and you only had six months to do it. How would you approach that problem? Because now I know what they would do if we get water on our boat. And I want to see, are they creative? Are they innovative? Are they using the same basic tactics that got us into the problem? Or do they have some out-of-the-box thinking? And then like you said for the show, there's another benefit to you as the business owner. Yeah, we got 20, we got 20 or 25 one to two pagers. We only hired one of the people. But we got 20 to 25 one to two pagers with ideas from marketing brains. So it doesn't mean that they're accurate and apropos exactly. But it what gives we're you good perspective from different people's eyes, doesn't it? It does. It gives me, it gives you like aha moments. Like, well, this person wasn't a good fit culturally and their plan was really off mark. That was a pretty interesting idea of ways mm. to get our brand in front of schools. Um, we should explore that. Right. And so it's also a way for, because when you hire companies spend a ton of resources, it's expensive to hire. It's expensive to train. You have turnover, which causes more expense. So, while yes, the employee is getting a paycheck and they might not get the job, you need as a business, you have to somehow monetize that experience and turn that into a positive for your company. So while you're going through the interview process, even if you don't hire that person, if you can steal one nugget from every single person you spend a uh, half an hour, an hour interviewing, at least you monetize that hour, half hour for the company and turned it into a revenue generating moment and not a, a cost center. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's, there's a lot of benefits to, to that. So I would I would suggest as you guys are thinking about your own businesses and hiring, think outside the box on what you're doing. Don't do the same things everyone else is doing because then you're going to get the same results everyone else is getting, which is very, very low uh, success rate of finding good people, high turnover. And like you said, a lot of a lot of people come in and then they sell you the world. And, then, you know, because I can go in and sell myself in an interview, but it doesn't mean I can actually do the job. Mm. It's really interesting with sales. Um, so I don't know if you ever used the app Clubhouse. Have you ever used it? I have, yeah. I okay. was on very early. All right. So I've been using Clubhouse. Anyone who doesn't know Clubhouse, it's an audio-only drop-in app. I spend quite a lot of time on there. And I'll go into a lot of sales rooms. And I was in a room, it must have been six months ago. And I'm a big believer, if you're good at something, you can just get up and do it. And it was a real estate room. And they were doing role plays scenarios. So I've gone in and my brand's under the sales angel. So it's under everything. One, it just rubs people up the wrong way, which is, gets you out of obscurity. But secondly, you will always get people to be like, ha, huh, so you're the sales angel. You think you're great at sales. Why don't you role play us? And I'm like, this is an American real estate room. And I'm like, well, I don't deal with anything in real estate. But I'm in. Because I'm like, sure. if, we're, if we're gonna go into something, we've got to be prepared to put our hat in the ring at any single given time, right? So we've done it, it went well, it was great. We've got loads of leads, got some clients, and we're over the moon. 
But I got a message from a guy after, and he's like, I find it. What did he say? It was along the lines of he was he was offended because I literally went. The guy that was talking to me said, oh, well, I'm not going to go easy. And I had to pretend to cold call this guy as he was a sale by owner. So he's selling his own house and I'm just cold calling. And so this guy said, I'm offended, but you didn't do due diligence before you would pick up the phone. I was like, (laughs) it's a role play scenario. We're not going to sit down and do due diligence, but I'm making sure that in the state of xyz legally that was the right thing to do i said i'm in another country i said it's about the process (laughs) and i think it's interesting how much people will automatically push away when people expose a weakness in it because in my head i was just thinking Mm -hmm. you're perfectly the person i would not want to hire if i had an outbound (laughs) salespeople. right if you were going to have an outbound sales company that was going to try and get appointments for real estate just that's not the guy that you'd want someone like that in compliance Absolutely. To make sure, right? In compliance, you want him looking at everyone's desk, <laughs> but you wouldn't want him making the calls. And I think so Correct. many people end up in the wrong role in an industry that they understand. And I think sales is like that. Do you ever get that at the moment with yours where you maybe hire someone on the lower skill level, but actually they're far too smart for it. So they ask far too many questions. So they don't just do the repetitive mm-hmm. executions. Do you ever have stuff like that you could talk about? Oh, all the time. I mean, right. And if you hire right, you should find those people. Yeah. Because if you, because again, I'm hiring for who you are, not necessarily your experience. And sometimes we do put you in the wrong role or, or you're applying for the wrong role because you think you're good at that. But technically, truthfully, you're better at something else. Um, and that's, that's part of just navigating the waters of building a, a team and a company. But what's great in my mind is, and it, I, I like, you know, because I cut my teeth in this world in sales, you know, my first jobs were telemarketing and I used to be, a, a, you know, you had Dave Meltzer on your show. We were talking about him before, you know, lifelong family friend. But when I was in high school, I was selling a lot of his products for his first startup. So sales has been kind of my backbone of, of what I do. And I used to remember everyone says, oh, I hate sales. Like, how do you do it? And I laugh in my head because they don't realize everybody's in sales. Yes. I don't care if you're if you're an accountant uh, in the back office of a big accounting firm. If you don't realize that if you can't sell yourself to your team or your uh, boss, Sell your why ideas, you should get the promotion, everything. sell your ideas, sell your children on why they need to brush their teeth, sell your spouse on why you should go out to this restaurant. If you don't have the ability, and sales is always, people have this negative connotation with sales, which is you're selling something. I'm not selling something. I'm trying to convince you to do something that I think is good for you. Yeah, That's the idea, right? A good salesperson understands we're just trying to get our idea across and make the other person buy into that concept. Whether it's to eventually get you in this car because... I make a commission, but this is a great car or it's to go to this restaurant because I heard it was a really good restaurant. Whatever the case is, we're all in sales. And so honing in and crafting those skills. So I do like the fact that that person, even though, as you accurately put, should be in compliance, they're in that room and everyone should be always working on their ability to sell their ideas, their visions, their thoughts, uh, product services, benefits, whatever it is that they're pushing and being able to articulate it well and craft it in their head and go through you know, objection handling and how you're going to overcome this and how you're going to generate leads and all of that. But all that aside, always where we want to be and what we're good at are two different things. And so the most important moment, I think, for everybody, and when I found personal success at at a highest level, when I really crossed the chasm from trying to figure out how to be successful in what I do professionally to being extremely successful, was the day I realized that I'm an ordinary guy and 
And this is the extra stuff I need to do to basically be extraordinary in what I do. And that was when I figured out what lane I needed to be in, where my strengths and weaknesses are and have that true self heart to heart moment where you're staring in the mirror and you're having that, uh, you know, it's emotionally tough because you're going to beat down all of your premonitions (laughs) in your head and all the things that you want to be good at, but come to the realization you're not right. And so when I decided to go out on my own and start my own company, we all have visions of being the next, you know, Steve Jobs or or Mark Zuckerberg, where we're going to run these multi-billion trillion dollar companies and be the face, you know, the next Elon Musk. But then I came to realize that's not who I am, right? I'm really good at startup companies to a certain size, you know, mid eight figures. Once a company grows beyond that in revenue, there's a professional level that needs to come to it that I just can't bring. There's a boardroom CEO and I'm not that. And the day that I came to the conclusion that that wasn't me, I was really able to focus in and run hard at what I'm really good at and avoid all the other distractions. And I think that helping my staff do the same thing with that heart to heart saying, listen, I know you got hired for a sales job, but let's go through the questions you ask. You ask great questions, but they're more compliance related. And it seems like your brain naturally wants to go to compliance. So why don't we create a role that allows you to thrive and helps us be more compliant helps hold my sales team more accountable to following protocol and, and not overselling to or back end selling or, yeah. or manipulation to where now we're we're up shit's creek standing in the corner of a room talking to their clients. Yeah. Right. Exactly. What can we do? Why don't you help us on that front? Why don't you go on these sales calls with our sales team and build out our compliance and we can hopefully turn what is a great resource that we now have on our team out of the sales role where they're probably struggling and, and either at the bottom or barely making quota or not making quota. You know, and in that sales room. So my my first real sales job after law school was at ADP, and I was selling payroll services. And every Friday, they would bring in about all twenty five of us salespeople into the into a uh, Friday meeting, and they would put our name up on the screen. It was a PowerPoint, your name and your sales numbers for the week, and your quota, and did you hit it? And so if you hit it, you got claps. If you didn't, in front of the entire room, you had to answer as to why. Well, that's you know tough for salespeople who aren't good at sales. Yes. especially ones that are consistently not hitting their quota because every Friday in front of all their peers, they're getting lambasted, right? And in, a, in a room where people have got a really good bullshit detector as well. We're, yeah, we're all bullshitters, right? That's, yeah. that's basically what we're doing and they're not good at it. And so it's clear, right? I mean, if you're not fit for the role, it's going to become apparent quick. And so you can make a choice to fire them and move on or you can find if they're a good person and you think that they add value, help them come to the realization that they should alter their role and then at least that person can hopefully help the organization Mm, and i think it's so true in sales so much um for so many people i think a lot of people get into sales especially early years which you probably saw as well yourself people screwed up at school right then they had a friend that got into sales and they're like huh why are you driving a nice ferrari or whatever it is and do a nice bmw and then i'll do sales do you need a do you need a um you need like a CV? Nope. And some sales <laughs> companies, I went, I went to one before, it was a door-to-door company. They used to have interviews twice a week and they literally would let anyone in. And it was commission only. And they would literally have 25 people twice a week turn up. But out of the 50 people a week, five would be there two weeks later. And most of those five would have left within a month. So they just had a continual cycle of people coming in. They gave them zero training. Literally, I think it was about half an hour training. And they sent them off to different locations to go and pitch. And I always remember looking going, this makes no sense. <laughs> like, 
I'm not, but in their head, they're like, well, we're not losing anything by sending these people out. Well, look, definitely are. You're missing out on massive levels of missed revenue. Your reputation's completely gone to crap because you've mm-hmm. got a lot of people who've got no clue. And there aren't even cult, like a, there's not even like a culture within the business. You've just got really random 18 year olds turning up and um, do, doing what they do. When with your business now, where you've got those processes in place, how do you bring people in with your values? Do you have a set series of values for you as a person? Do you have different values around the company? How does that work for you to make sure you're getting the culture right? Yes, uh, we have our core values and we don't stray from them. And, and it, it truly is. That's the only black and white thing. Uh, make friends and have fun are the two first are the first two core values. And we don't we don't miss on that. If you ask anyone who I ever hired, they'll tell you make friends and have fun are the most two important things to Jeff. It's actually on the cover of my book, make friends and have fun. It's not the title, but it's you're going to see it on the cover of my book that's coming out. And and when I say that, it sounds fluffy. It sounds salesy. Ah, make friends, have fun. Like, what the hell does that mean? But there is so much to that where if I make friends with my coworkers, I make friends with my customers. That means I'm going to act with integrity. I'm not going to not show up on time. I'm not going to steal your things. I'm not going to talk shit about you. Um, I'm not going to leave you high and dry. I'm going to do what friends do. And I'm going to treat you with respect and care about you. And then have fun because, as we said, we spend more time with our work families than we do with our personal yeah. families. And and if I'm going to spend 10, 12, 14 hours a day doing something and I don't enjoy it, no, thank you. And I don't want to be around people who don't enjoy what they do either. So if we're not having fun and may, and being able to make friends with each other, then immediately we're not a good fit. So that, those are the first two. And those are really easy. The other three, as I mentioned earlier, one of them is Kaizen. It's the concept of getting 1% better every day. Because I hate people that feel that uh, hate is wrong. I don't hate them as humans. I hate working with people and yes. having them on my team that believe that they figured it all out and they can't get better. They've got their feet up that, on the desk taking it easy. Yeah, well, or, or they just think that they can't improve. Oh, I got this. This is easy. Well, the problem is there's only one thing that's a guarantee and that's change. The world is always changing and evolving, right? 20 years ago or 30 years ago now, uh, in the early 90s, we were doing things with paper. And then all of a sudden, email came out. And then all of a sudden, smartphones came out. And then all of a sudden, now we got cryptocurrency and blockchain coming out. And you have all, and Web 3.0 and NFTs and all this weird stuff that's popping up. And companies are figuring out how to evolve and adapt to the times. So if you're not evolving and adapting in your role, then someone else is figuring out what the status quo was and how to get better. And we're falling behind. So I need to be around people who are constantly wanting to get better as humans in all walks of life, you know, both personally and professionally. So Kaizen, can you get 1% better every day? And 1% is obtainable. 1% mm. is literally nothing. And, and the analogy I use on stage when I'm speaking is I, I say, think about someone who's trying to uh, lose weight and wants to maybe, you know, my goal is to run a marathon one day, but I'm overweight and I'm out of shape and I don't exercise. Well, if my goal is to run a marathon, that's from completely out of shape and not working out. That's not 1%. That's 100% better. So what's 1%? Can you put on your gym clothes and watch TV today? Because that's 1% better than yesterday when you watch TV without gym clothes on. Oh, I can do that. Great. Tomorrow, can you put on gym clothes and walk or run to the mailbox? Yeah? Okay. Great. That's 1%. And if every day you go one more mailbox, it's not a question of if you're going to run a marathon. It's going to question of when. Enough mailboxes will equal that marathon distance, right? And it might take you two years. It might take you three years, but you're getting 1% better every day. But naturally, what happens is, as you get 1% better, five days from now, you might choose to go two mailboxes or three mailboxes because you're feeling good. 
you're like, oh, I got this. And then when you're at 37 mailboxes, and it, let's just say that that's a quarter of a mile, if I told you, well, run a quarter of a mile today, you're like, I got that because you've been doing it consistently. So that, that applies professionally as well. You know, it applies in sales, whether it's figuring out how to make cold calls, figuring out scripts, doing some competitor re- competitive research, thinking outside the box. Uh, you know, to me, I was really good at sales because I didn't sell anything. Um, I made friends with with prospects. I made friends with people. And what I mean by that is, is I didn't care about selling my product or service. I cared about adding value to okay. my friend. Right. And even if it wasn't me, and I can tell you, I sold for my competitors a handful of times, even when I was an employee at ADP, because I knew our limitations. And I knew that if I helped them and I was honest with them, I built a relationship with that human. And I don't know what the future is going to bring. Salespeople's mistakes are they, they think that the world ends with that first no. So they, they cut that human off like, oh, they're not going to buy from me. F them. And they move on. And unless your career is ending tomorrow, I don't know why you would ever do that. Quick, quick pivot. You know, I was the sales rep at ADP after law school. I was there for six months as top sales rep in the country. First to make President's Club out of 2,000 sales reps. Six figures in less than six months. Big awards. All these trips. And they owed me a $17,000 bonus. And when I went to my boss in January of 2007 to get it, they told me I had to wait to the end of the fiscal year, which wasn't until June. And I wouldn't get the payment until July. Well, I said, that won't work. I had graduated law school. So I had law school loans. I had just gotten engaged. I just bought a house. I had a daughter. I needed the 17 grand. And so I threatened to quit if they wouldn't give it to me, thinking they wouldn't let their top sales rep leave. And they called my bluff. And so I had to make a decision. Would I go back with my tail tucked between my legs? And I was 24 years old. And like, and I just moved into a, a house with my fiance and daughter. And instead, I decided to go off on my own because F them and start my own payroll company. But I can tell you what happened. Now I had a Rolodex of all my customers I sold at ADP. But I also had all the people I sent to paychecks because ADP wasn't a good fit that I was able to call. And you know what? They took my call. They trusted me. And now I got to say, listen, I know I sent you to paychecks four months ago because we didn't have the products and services you needed. I'm now off on my own doing the same thing. I know the needs of your business and I built an application and a tool to solve them. Would you give me the trust to give me your business? And if it doesn't work, you know, I'll be honest with you and I'll help you get back with paychecks because they're not going anywhere. Do you know how many of those people said yes? A ton. A lot. And I built and scaled my first company, which was a payroll company that I sold in 2011 off the backbone of making friends with all my customers. And a customer to me is not someone who buys. A customer to me is someone who could buy at any point, at any time, ever, aka everybody. So if you make friends with everybody, you have an entire Rolodex. And I've never cold called. I never had to cold call once with my new payroll company because I just started calling friends. And then they started introducing me. And I can also say, even if you don't start your own company, if I say to you, listen, we're not the right fit, but of all my competitors, I would go to paychecks because I know them. They're a good company. Yes, they're our biggest competitor. And yes, I compete with them. And when we are a good fit, we're the best fit. But for your needs, they're a better fit. Great. Thank you so much for your honesty, Jeff. Awesome. I'd even introduce you to my buddy who works there. So he'll get the commission because I want to help him and he'll do the same for me. But now I say, listen, I know we weren't a good fit for you. And hopefully you appreciate my honesty. Do you have anybody you can refer me to who we may be a good fit for? Because obviously I'm in the job of selling payroll and I really would like to obviously grow my business. And now I'm getting warm leads from people who aren't even using our service. And so again, it's, it's the approach of how you approach people. And that's what I look for with the making friends and having fun. If you don't approach people the right way, you're burning bridges. Don't do that. Build bridges. And then the whole thing stems. So Kaizen is number three. 
being change ready is my fourth key uh, core value because as I said, the only constant thing is change. You don't know if COVID's going to happen. You don't know if the internet's going to happen. We don't know when things are going to pop up mm. that require change. So you have to always be ready to change and, and not be so rigid. And this is how we have to do it. So if you're a change ready human, you're, you're willing to adapt and, and, and are open to new, new approaches. And then the last one is, I told you it's integrity, but it's integrity and remarkability. You have to act with integrity and be remarkable at everything you do. You put your name on it. You better give me your best, best effort because I'm going to give you mine. And that, those are the five core values. And so I look for people that have those similar core values, who believe in that ethos, who can live in that ethos. And if we find humans that do that, we're going to find you a home at, at Everbull or whatever company I'm currently with. I love it. Jeff, love today. Really enjoyed it. It's been great having you on. Tell people where they can find you. What have you got going on? I know you've got a book coming out. Tell us where they can come find you. Yeah. So you can find me on social media at Fenster Jeff, or you can email me connect at jefffenster.com. If you liked anything I was saying, I have two free courses, so it doesn't cost you any money on LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn learning. One is on relationship capital and one is on uh, building a buzz with no money. Uh, the relationship capital course, I highly recommend, but that is now being turned into a book. Um, luckily, some people liked it enough to want to turn it into a book. And it's coming out. Uh, it should hopefully be out by March. And David Meltzer actually wrote the forward. And what's really cool is not only do you get my perspective on how to use relationships to, to grow and scale your all of your businesses, whether you're in sales or not, um, I give you exact tactics and some really cool stuff, especially people in sales, which is your audience. If you're not learning, you're not going to be uh, as successful as you can be. And I'm not, I'm not the smartest person in the world, but I surrounded myself with great people and reapplied those lessons that I've learned to share. Um, so definitely check that book out. If you can't afford it, give me a, just hit me up. I'll send you a copy for free. It's not, I don't really care about the money on it. Um, otherwise hit me up on social media or LinkedIn. I'd love to connect and, and make some friends with, with some of your audience. Mate, honestly, really, really enjoyed today. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I really, really appreciate it. I, I look forward to it. I'm, I'm aiming to get out to the States for some masterminds and all that jazz, uh, hopefully tail end of, of this year. So hopefully I'll pass. Well, tell, me when, tell me when you come and, and uh, I'm all over the country. We have stores. So 100%. I'll fly to wherever you're, wherever you hit uh, stateside or if I'm ever across the pond, we'll have to, we'll have to hang out. It's all about that. Guys, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Sales Masters Podcast. Like, share and all that jazz if you want to. Make sure you go and check out Jeff because I'll be frank, I've absolutely loved today and I'm sure you guys have too. See you on the next episode. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in today. I'm so glad you popped by. If you've liked this, give it a share, subscribe, even give us a rate and review. Share it out to someone who knows and I look forward to seeing you on the next edition.